When it comes to selling your home, the asking price you choose can make or break your real estate deal. Today, discover why pricing your home correctly the first time is so important, learn some great tactics for marketing your property with video, and find out how long distance agents are able to provide service for clients who aren't physically there. Whether you're buying your dream property or selling a million dollar home, why not get the highest price and the best advice? This is Luxury Real Estate Talk, the art and business of buying and selling high-end homes with stories and insider knowledge from top luxury agents nationwide and around the globe. Here's our host, Rob Jensen. This is episode 21 with Jenna McKay, a Compass real estate agent based in New York City. Hi, Jenna. So tell me, how'd you get started in real estate in New York? I originally was planning on starting real estate in California by luck, a friend of mine had just started a company in New York and said, why don't you test it out here? You would always wanted to live in New York City. Come test out the rental market and see if you even like real estate. And then four years later, here I am still doing the real estate thing in New York City. So you took to New York then? I did. It was between New York City and Seattle when I was finally ready to leave LA and I ended up in New York. All right. Exciting. So one of the big hot topics out there for discussion, whether you're helping buyers or sellers, is pricing. So tell me, what's on your mind when it comes to pricing property? Absolutely. It's such a hot topic right now in New York City, especially because we've had a pretty big price adjustment over the last 18 months, mostly in the luxury sector. But even in the call of the average New Yorker sector, I had a, had a sale this year that I ended up listing it and being the third broker to list it. And the reason for that, aside from others, mainly was the, I call it aspirational pricing that the previous brokers had agreed to put it up as. So I had been talking to the seller for probably about a year after the last time she had the apartment listed. And she had it listed for probably around 100000 more than what we ended up actually selling it for this year. That was the conversation that I had to have with her is, you know, look, if I'm going to come in and do this for you the third time, aside from the marketing that I bring in and that I bring to the table, I really think that we need to price it perfectly because now what happens if you don't price it correctly, it's not that you're just not going to sell it. You're going to, you're going to show potential buyers with the multiple price drops that you end up doing eventually that you are very, very negotiable and really trying to sell. Got it. So what do you say to the sellers that just say, well, Jenna, just bring me an offer, you know, like then I'll negotiate. Lower. You know, that's actually not a bad strategy. And I always say, look, if, if you're set on this price and you won't change your mind, regardless of what I tell you, we can test out this price point for two weeks. If there are no offers, then at that point, we need to come back and, and renegotiate the price that we decided to list it at. Got it. And I think I know why, but why two weeks? Why is that sort of the sweet spot? Depending on when you list it, but most of the time you can pretty much tell based on traffic, the number of inquiries and the the number of second showings that there's going to be an offer to be made. We have pretty tight analytics at Compass that show us once the listing goes up, you know, what should that traffic look like for the price point that it is? And based on the number of people that actually reach out, will there be a potential for an offer? With experience comes that kind of hunch of you already know your price too high, but if somebody, if nobody comes forth with an offer in the first two weeks, then you definitely know your price too high. Right. Well, and, and one of the other sort of technical things I've brought up in a recent video we filmed was this concept that there are active buyers out there in the market right now that either haven't found what they're looking for or 
perhaps they did find the home they wanted and they got outbid or they were too slow to make an offer. And so there's this pool of buyers. Now it's going to depend on, you know, the location and the price point, you know, the size of that pool of buyers. But the second you go live with a new listing, anybody that's remotely serious is on some sort of safe search, whether it's through the MLS or your website or a realtor.com or Zillow or something. So this active buyer pool is going to get notified right out the gate. And so that's where to me, if you don't have that action, whether it's two weeks or in the first month or something like that's a very good indicator as to whether or not you need to make a course correction promptly. Absolutely. And I, I would also add to that, that for New York City specifically, a lot of our transactions, I would say majority of our transactions are between brokers, they're co-brokes. So on top of the active buyers that are actually looking, there are also buyers that are represented by buyers agents. And you know, those people are on top of those safe searches and they know exactly when something that is going to go quick, they will notify their clients about it. And if they know that it's overpriced, they're just going to wait and see what happens. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where I I say a lot of really your first showing is online. And if you're not getting physical Mm -hmm. showings, that's that's basically meaning you're not getting second showings. People have either decided that they don't like the property or they don't like the price and they're just not going to show up. But I do understand where sellers are coming from as to a little bit of fear of not wanting to leave money on the table. Sometimes here in Las Vegas, we get appraisals before putting homes on the market. Not always. Sometimes there's good situations. Is that something that's ever done in New York? Almost never, unless it's a brownstone that has been overly renovated in an area that doesn't support that price point. Perhaps that's when you would want to call an appraiser in. But other than that, we typically don't do appraisals unless required by the bank, which is, you know, if you're financing, it is a requirement. Got it. So when it comes to selling these properties, I know video is a really hot thing in general, especially when it's done right. You've had some recent success in video. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love video. And, you know, as real estate professionals, we know that it's a big part of our marketing plan going forward and really should have been part of 2018, 2019 for most of us. Because to your point, a lot of the showings happen online and perhaps some of these buyers are not local. You know, there's a Las Vegas investor that's looking for a property in New York City. He's going to see that property online first. So if you have a video, it really helps showcase what that property is. But I took it a step further this year and I actually did a video of the neighborhood for one of my last listings that just sold a few days ago. It was in an area that's called Kipps Bay. It's not a very well-known Manhattan neighborhood. It's kind of a neighborhood nestled in between neighborhoods. So it doesn't necessarily have an identity like a West Village or an Upper East Side that people even outside of Manhattan are familiar with. I actually found somebody on Instagram that had recently quit BuzzFeed and was looking to beef up his portfolio. So he was willing to do the video for a much lower price than everybody else. And I'm all for giving people chances, especially when they thoughtfully reach out to me like he did being on Instagram and being a real estate agent, you get hit with a bunch of personal assistants and all kinds of vendors that are trying to you know, help you out. But he did it in a thoughtful way. So I gave him a chance and it actually ended up being a really great video that we shot within probably footage wise, we did it in two hours and just showcased what's really around here. If you were, if you were a, a resident of Kids Bay, where would you go for coffee? Where would you go to grab drinks with a friend, you know, so really just kind of gave this neighborhood an identity. And I ended up tagging all the businesses that we did in the video that we included in the video. And they ended up reposting it to their Instagram. So it ended up becoming this really nice 
additional marketing step for people that were kind of like, hmm, I love this apartment, but I'm not sure about this neighborhood. So it ended up really being a great thing. Great. And I think you said the buyer had watched the video and because you ended up selling that property then too, right? Yeah, we just closed on that property last Monday and the buyer was from Italy. He had already been living in New York, but not as familiar with Manhattan as somebody that's been here for years. So having that video as part of the listing was really important. I think just somebody like him, because we weren't just selling him on the apartment. The apartment is great, had a private roof and, you know, three levels and it was very well priced for the neighborhood. But I think what really sold him and after speaking with his buyer's agent, you know, she said the video was something that helped him understand if he could actually live there himself because he'd never lived in the neighborhood. I love it. And it almost sounds a little cliche, but we really are selling lifestyles along with the properties. And it's video. It's my big recommendation for potential sellers out there when interviewing agents is to look at the videos the agents have produced. Because I've had times where you know sellers know what we do and are excited about it. But other times I mentioned video and they still think the old school slideshow where it's just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean it's a video. I mean, if it's like this slideshow set to music where it's sort of fades in or the photo twirls out of the frame or something like that is a slideshow video. You've got so much more with capturing motion, whether it's waterfalls or the trees in the wind or, you know, the people, the kids down the street. I mean, just life, you know, instead of a still photo. So I think that's so neat that you not only did it, but brought in those elements of both the community to people, so people understand what it's like to be there, as well as from a marketing strategic point of view, like that's very strategic, tag those local businesses, and then they share it because people in the community already live there, might be looking to upsize or downsize. So yeah, whether people are looking to upsize or downsize, like it's a really neat way to carefully reach people, kind of like what you're talking about, how the BuzzFeed guy reached out to you in a nice way that wasn't just like spam. Kind of same with that marketing video, like you're able to incorporate this local lifestyle in a fun way that you can collaborate and reach buyers other than just being an ad. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. And, you know, I take it a step further too, uh, in terms of certain homes just don't have the presence to be in a video, right? Let's, for example, this wasn't the case with this property, but if I had a studio, you know, that was 400 square feet that I was marketing, I wouldn't bring a video guy inside to showcase the faucet and the window, right? Because there's just not a lot of room to go around, but you can showcase the building and you can showcase what's around the neighborhood or perhaps for a property that is in need of a deep renovation. You're also not going to want to showcase all of those things inside, but you can showcase the value of what you're buying in the, in the neighborhood that it is. Absolutely. So you're going to give the guy a job or... <laughs> I would. You know, what's so funny is so I've actually did hire him on to do another video for me. And he did a fantastic job. It was more of a branding video of just me around the neighborhood that I work in. And it was so popular with the agents in my office that they all asked me for his contact info, which I shared. But he ended up booking an assignment in LA to be on some TV series, I think, for the next year. So we're waiting for him to come back. (laughs) So now you did mention that you still... You mentioned that you also have clients that are out of state and you still kind of help them through the year. Tell me about that. Like, how does that work? Absolutely. You know, New York City may not be the most investable uh, city now, right? It's so expensive and we have so many regulations and things, but there are still so many people that want to have a residence in New York, whether it's for work or for their kids that are going to school here. So I have a lot of clients, whether it's from my California days of living there, 
that are looking for a property here or referrals from other agents in other states. And sometimes they're not able to get here until either the closing date or the day where we see their top choices. A big part of what I do for those clients is video and FaceTime showings. Even in a buyer's market, and I'm sure it's the same in Las Vegas too, good properties that are priced well still go quickly and potentially with multiple offers. So if it's something that I know will go quickly, I will do a showing via FaceTime or just do a video. Like I just did for a client of mine, she's an actress and she films in New Mexico six months out of the year. She found something she absolutely loved. I went over there right away, took a video, sent to her. She came with her mother yesterday and we're putting in an offer today. All right. So all of that was from video. Yeah. <laughs> Even at Christmas time, there's still offers to be made. But I think that's such an important thing to be able to provide that service to a client that's not locally here or physically here and really just communicate. I think that's another one is be very clear and very quick to respond, you know, because I think for them, having that connection to what's going to be a pretty big purchase is really important to have that communication and the trust. I like that. And what's what's really just dawning on me is almost because so much of when we're helping clients, buyers or sellers, there's a relationship there and, you know, a trust to take your advice and work with you and your expertise. But I also like the idea of kind of getting on the same page in terms of communication style and, and tech, like how how savvy is your agent, you know, and, and maybe what dawns on me, what's really neat is just the idea of not only do you want an agent that's an expert in the, the community and the, you know, the properties you're looking at but also someone that can communicate with you in a more tech savvy way. Now I understand, I still have clients that don't have an email address, but to expect that your agent can get on and do a FaceTime walkthrough with you at a property should be a no brainer in my opinion these days. 100% agree. Um, You know, there are so many people that aren't able to be there physically, even local New Yorkers that are just not able to get out of meetings or whatever it may be. I think it's, so easy for an agent to provide that service and that above and beyond, you know, step in what we do for our clients. And to me, that sort of comment was based on the buyer's agents out there being tech savvy and able to sort of do that for their buyers. But what I really want to do is put that onus on listing agents to get these Matterport tours done. I mean, we do these 3D showcases, you know, in all our listings in Las Vegas. I just got off the phone with someone in Coronado, California that does Matterports on their tours. Because to me, a FaceTime is still nice. But it's to me a Matterport tour. Are you have you worked with those at all? Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. We we did one for a listing of ours in Midtown last year. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it's the technology that's not here or perhaps the vendor that I use that I didn't love, but I didn't feel like the Matterport tour added to my listing. It didn't highlight the property in a way that I, I had hoped that it would, you know? Now here's a question. I wonder, was it a condo or a house? It was a condo. To me, maybe it matters more with houses. And I guess where I'm going with this, the way I see kind of the way video and these 3D tours meshes, to me, like the video is more of a sexy, interesting, almost like a movie trailer. You can tell the story of the community. You can have some music. You can have maybe the owner or the neighbor or the coffee shop barista says something on camera. You can really kind of tell a story. But um, to me, where it really is helpful is, okay, now there's somebody interested, just like hey, maybe you've got a client that's interested in my listing in Las Vegas and it's this you know, 7,000 square foot two-story house. They can actually see the whole floor plan now online and really decide, does the floor plan even work for them? Because sometimes people come to, you know, the reason why I mentioned it, asked if it was a condo or not, I could see it being a little more complicated with houses where you have bedrooms on, someone might want the bedrooms next to the master because they have young kids or someone might want the bedrooms on the 
other side of the house or they want to master down. So there's, there might be a little more of a dilemma with the configuration, so to speak, whereas maybe in condos, it's really not so complicated, I guess. That's probably right. You know, you don't need the big walkthrough of a two bedroom condo if it's 1200 square feet or less, which our apartments tend to be. I can absolutely see how much more important it is for a 7,000 square foot house because you can't picture it. Even if you know how to read floor plans well, I think it's so much harder to picture the various levels and entrances um, without a video. Absolutely. Got it. So what's the market like out there right now? Buyer's market, big time. You know, we started seeing the market correction start about two years ago, more in the 3 million plus inventory because of just the sheer amount of new developments that we've overbuilt, to be fair, in New York over the last two years. Um, You know, we have these super tall towers that are full of condos that were targeted towards foreign buyers that are no longer viable buyers for various reasons, right? Tax tax reasons, um, political uncertainty, trade wars, all those things definitely softened that market. But over the last two years, we've also seen it affect lower priced units as well, just as we're entering a market correction. I wouldn't say market recession quite yet, but a market correction for sure. But you know, on the other hand, there are still apartments that go into multiple offer situations. I have a buyer that has been looking for a pretty popular layout, one bedroom, downtown Manhattan at a certain price point, below 700000 And the last apartment that he found that we bid on had 19 offers. Um, so, yeah, even in a buyer's market, well-priced properties and desirable neighborhoods still go above ask and, and multiple bids. So I know you know it's a buyer's market, but is there like numbers that you can point to, like that there's X amount of inventory or is there something like that where you can say, hey, this price point or this segment or this area is a buyer's market because of a certain thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's the Even 2 million plus is definitely heavily in a buyer's market, specifically in new development. New development inventory is at an all-time high. I forget the exact figure of how many months it'll take us to get through that inventory, but it's multiple years. So with that, a lot of the sponsors, a lot of the developers are giving away things like 10 years of free living. So there's a, a famous tower downtown Manhattan on the Lower East Side that is now offering buyers uh, 10 years free uh, common charges or HOA as they're called everywhere else. On top of the fact that the taxes for the building are abated, so really, essentially, if you were to buy a two-bedroom or larger unit in this tower for 10 years, your tax, your taxes and your HOA would be zero. Got it. And just kind of some ballpark numbers. On average, what are your sold price per foot range? I mean, I know, sure, it's all over the place, but it's kind of a range. For- it's really all over the place. And truthfully, the biggest problem for us to use those types of figures is 70% of our inventory is co-ops, um, which are probably non-existent in Vegas. And co-ops are cooperative apartments. So instead of buying condos where you're buying real property, you're buying shares in a cooperative. And those cooperative apartments rarely release square footage for each unit. So our square footage numbers are completely diluted and incorrect. So we, we tend to not use them unless it's specific for, let's say there's a condo building and I'm representing a unit on the 30th floor. I'll pull a price per square foot for that building because that square footage would be released. Got it. Can you share that the um, property that you're closing on, was it today or tomorrow? What's that price per foot going for? So that property closed last Monday and it was a co-op. 
So no square footage was ever released. Uh, so you can't, you can't <laughs> I can tell, tell you the closing price. Uh-huh. I can tell you the closing price. So it was a one bedroom apartment, a uh, triplex. So three levels. And then there was also a private roof deck. Uh, it was a penthouse apartment and it, we listed it for 759 and we closed it for 732. All right. And I guess the, the reason why I asked is not to propagate the price per square foot. That's I think it can come in handy on occasion, but in general, I think it gets a little bit blown out of proportion as to the usefulness of it. I'm just curious because in Vegas, you've got anywhere from the brand new high-end custom homes are maybe in the general vicinity of 500 to 600 a foot. There's a lot of just nice resale customs and whatnot that are more like in the 200 to 300 a foot range. So it just always cracks me up where I'm sure you guys are in the thousands a foot range. We are. I do have a listing right now, actually. It's a two bedroom, two bath, and the price per square foot for it is 880 with change. So it's actually a very well-priced apartment in Midtown, so prime Manhattan. So I would say that's probably the lower end of the range is about 800 and they can go up to thousands for Tribeca, Soho, some of the really premier neighborhoods in New York. So do you have any advice, particularly just one key point for a buyer coming to look for real estate in New York? One tip, whether it's you that's going to help them or someone else, what should they know to get the best experience possible? Good point. Are they coming coming in cold? Don't know anything about New York? Sure. Yeah. They've seen Home Alone. That's about it. <laughs> well, I would love to help them because they're going to need a lot of help. Um, but definitely, you know, number one thing, like I said, most of our transactions are co-brokes and it's for a reason. It, finding an agent is one of the most important things you can do as a buyer. It's such a complicated market. We have, like I said, co-ops, condos, all these rules and regulations that are different from everywhere else. So that's the priority. And then second, what I like to do, regardless of where, where the buyer's coming from, is really figure out what are their goals for this apartment, right? Because it's not just going to be a primary residence or an investment. It's probably going to be a mix of both um, for a lot of people. So figuring out how long do they want to hold it? You know, what, what do they intend to do with the property after five, seven, 10 years? That really helps to narrow in on what types of buildings and neighborhoods would make sense for this person. Got it. And a piece of advice for a seller out there with a high rise or a piece of property, whichever, whatever it is in the city to sell. I would, my biggest advice to sellers right now is if you don't need to sell, don't because the sellers that are going out on the market with, as we were talking earlier, this aspirational pricing um, strategy, they're the ones that are end up losing in the end. Because as you know, data now is becoming so much better. The moment that you, you go out on the market with a certain price point, that's always going to be part of the record. And if you do a price drop after that and potentially another one because you started so high and no offers have come in, all of that is indication to a buyer or a buyer's agent that you are, I don't want to say desperate to sell, but they smell blood. So that is my number one advice is unless you're serious about selling your apartment, don't go on the market with, with aspirational pricing because that's only going to bite you in the end. Got it. And if people want to use your help to buy or sell, what's the best way for them to reach you? Find me on Instagram. I love connecting with people on Instagram. I think it's such a great visual resume for potential buyers or sellers to see in their agent. You know, I think the days of bios are so long gone. Nobody ever reads those things anymore. They want to connect with somebody through, you know, shared interests or shared communication style. And I think all of that can be found easily on somebody's Instagram if they're, if they're, you know, updating and posting on a frequent basis, which I do. So that's my favorite way to connect with people. You can find me on Instagram at Jenna 
underscore McKay. And there's a number of resources on there too for any buyers or sellers that are thinking about getting into the New York City market. Perfect. Thanks for listening to Luxury Real Estate Talk with Rob Jensen. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and colleagues and give us some stars. We would love to hear your feedback. Connect with Rob at robjensen.com.